0: Hey everybody, this is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome back to the Device Talks weekly podcast. We have a very special episode for you this week. It's actually our third annual episode of this type. We're highlighting the finalists in MedTech Colors pitch competition. Uh, there's actually a mix of finalists here, both in their regular pitch competition and then one that they have aimed toward uh, pediatric applications. So there are 13 companies in all. So it, there's a lot of stories here to be told, and I think we did a really effective job telling them. Uh, I'll get into the details of how we did that a little later in the podcast. We're going to open the whole thing up with a conversation I had and Kayleen Brown had with Katrina Holland, who is the new executive director at MedTech Color. And uh really excited to be working with that group. And we hope to be doing more with them in the near future. So uh, this is uh, always a labor of love. In addition to, uh, and I'll mention this later on, but I'll mention it now too. In addition to this uh, podcast, we're also going to, uh, we've created videos that we'll be sharing with Metacolor and with the finalists that they'll be able to put out on LinkedIn. So keep an eye out for those and, uh, you know, Give them some attention. Give them some, some likes and loves on LinkedIn or wherever they post them. So uh, that's the episode for today of the podcast. A few updates. Uh, we're continuing to, uh, to tell great stories on Device Talks Tuesdays. We have an episode coming up this Tuesday from uh, CSA Group about Europe, Asia, and beyond talking about global markets. So that's a, a new topic for us. I'm excited to have that as part of our, uh, I guess, our, programming so make sure you check that out on device talks.com uh, register now watch live or on demand ask your questions either way and of course device talks boston is happening on uh, may 1st and may 2nd our early bird rate is expiring so uh, if you want to register at a lower cost uh, i would do it be next week uh, it expires uh, a week from now So uh, don't wait, we've got a great program, Uh, it keeps getting better by the day, and this week I was very happy to add that, um, or announce that we added Brian Miller, who's Executive Vice President and Chief Digital Officer at Intuitive, as uh, one of our keynotes, and he'll be on hand to talk with me and to demonstrate uh, some of the functionality of uh, of DaVinci and uh, DaVinci 5, the fifth generation. They'll uh, they're, they're hopefully will have uh, FDA approval at that time. And uh, Brian will be able to talk about just what all of that means. And uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of cool, cool stuff. Um, the kind of the kind of functionality that we talked about in someday fashion. So in addition to that, we'll have another great presentation by Medtronic at the end of day two. And I'm talking with the executive team of CMR on the morning of day two. And uh, we're actually adding uh, Greg Roach who is the uh, CEO of Distal Motion. He'll be speaking uh, on day one. And uh, we'll have Eric Todd of Stryker there talking about Mako. And we'll have Bertine Hume there of Quantum talking about Quantum. So there's a lot going on in the surgical robotics space. Uh, Some of these companies... Are uh, they have regulatory approval? Most of them have regulatory approval somewhere. Some are uh, marketing in the U.S., so this is happening. We're we're getting our uh, our uh, our horse race on. So come to Device Talks Boston to uh, check out these horses, and of course we'll have conversations around uh, product design, engineering, um, we'll talk about hot technologies, go to go to boston.devicetalks.com, check out the agenda, check out the speaker list. I'm continuing to add to that. Uh, so what you see now is not what you'll see next week, but uh, I guarantee it'll be a great couple of days and um, MedTech Innovator, of course, will be there leading our new innovation forum. So there's so much to talk about and uh, that's it. All right. So enjoy this episode of Device Talks Weekly. A lot of great stories here to be heard and uh of course register for device talks boston once again it's happening on may 1st and may 2nd at the boston convention and exhibition center i think that's it all right folks let's get this podcast going all right you ready for this ready Brown, it's great to have you on the podcast. Welcome.
1: Oh, I'd love to be here. Thank you.
0: We're here for, for a few reasons. We have an outstanding episode uh, with our friends from MedTech Color. We're going to be highlighting the finalists uh, of their pitch competition. Uh, and we also have uh, a great message from our sponsor, MedMark. Happy to have them part of it. Longtime supporters of Device Talks and, and longtime friends of, of both of ours. So we're happy to have them involved. But uh, I'm also anxious because Chris Newmarker always starts off these little chit chats with telling us how the weather is in Minneapolis. So I know our listeners really value eyewitness weather reports. So tell me, we want to we want to cover the whole nation. How is the weather right now at this moment, Tuesday morning, in the Pacific Northwest?
1: Well, it's going to come as a great surprise to you, Tom. It's raining.
0: Oh no! <laughs> Didn't actually, see that coming.
1: Yeah, what a surprise, rain in the Pacific <laughs> Northwest. Uh, actually, yesterday, I know that you asked me about today, but yesterday's weather was particularly surprising. Woke up to a snowstorm, which was not forecasted, and it was an inch of snow, and it was this immediate, how am I going to live my life? I'm a Californian and i 35 years. I don't understand snow. I can get through the rain, but I can't get through the snow. <laughs> and then by 10 a.m., it was completely gone. And then 1 p.m., we had uh, hail. And then wow. at 4 p.m., I learned a new word, sleet. I ne-
0: <laughs> you, are, I <laughs> you are living life large, Kayleen. You're experiencing yes. all the pleasures of the weather pattern. And I think you've completed our, our climate bingo, our climate change bingo. You, you, you've, got, uh, you've got nearly everything except for, uh, well, did you get a, what is it, atmospheric river? Is that, what's, what's, what has been raining down upon California?
1: All right. Um, you, you get I that all the I time,
0: mean- I guess. You get that in drips and traps. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So enough. I think that's a fair bingo when I win a ring. To- <laughs> Does that seem fair? <laughs> that seems fair.
0: All right. Well, enough nonsense. Uh, happy to bring in our uh, our guest, Katrina Holland. Katrina is the uh, new executive director of MedTech Color. Welcome, Katrina.
2: Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here.
0: Happy to have you here. And as I said, happy to be working with MedTech Color again on this. I think it's our third time that we've highlighted uh, the, uh, the, the the startup uh, participants or, or competitors or, or companies uh, in your pitch competition and uh, very happy that we're going to be including some video this time as well. So we'll have the podcast come out it has come out if you' if people are listening to this the podcast has come out and hopefully it came out on Friday. we're recording this earlier in the week. Um, but they'll also look on LinkedIn for, uh, for all of our uh, our highlighted startup uh, entrepreneurs. And they'll have uh, videos to share online, which is very cool, and we're happy to be doing that. That's that's a, a, another dimension and a great deal of fun. So, Katrina, what were you doing uh, prior to, to joining MedTech Color?
2: Well, uh, before I joined MedTech Color, I was the CEO of the American College of Nurse Midwives, huh? um, which you know I, I, I was there for for several years, and they are a five hundred one c six professional association that supports. Um, advanced practice nurses. And so, um, that's one of the things that I did and I helped them implement several initiatives around diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, to help abate the maternal mortality crisis, mm. um, which is something that we're all aware of, unfortunately.
0: What direction do you think that problem is, is heading? Is it, is there, are we moving toward a solution or are well, we still I, in the problem stage or where are we?
2: Well, I, I think we're, moving closer towards solution. And and the reason is I think we've identified the issue. Um, and so uh, aside from the maternity care shortage, um, one of the things that I helped um, that organization do is help to get more midwives into the mainstream as part of the solution, mm-hmm. um, you know, adding uh, to the population of other care providers like OBGYNs. Um, but one of the things that that we, we knew is that culturally congruent care um, does more to solve the issue. Um, people respond better to, you know, folks who understand them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the data also supports that. And so, um, unfortunately, you know, United States has the highest maternal mortality rate outside of any other developed country. Mm-hmm. And so um, it kind of came into the spotlight within the last several years. And so, you know, we were we were happy to be a part of that solution and implement a lot of uh, initiatives to to really help grow the midwifery workforce and and to help diversify it.
0: That's a, a great compliment to the medtech industry. I know we all point to technologies and devices as solutions to these healthcare problems, but so much people are, are, I think, a bigger solution. Just having someone to hear you, to help you, to offer insights and, and explanation is a huge part of a, of a positive healthcare system. And I, and I think we're all experiencing a lack of that to a degree, some more than others, unfortunately. So uh, that's, that's, that's great work.
2: So, yeah. And, you know, and, and really it's, It kind of expanded um, my vision when the opportunity with with MedTech Color came up. You know, you think about technology and you think about medical devices, the same logic follows, Mm -hmm. you know, if you have people, um, if you have more diversity at the table, you have that um, diversity of lived experience, that diversity of expertise, you're better apt to to drive solutions uh, to issues that have been longstanding and so. The organization is doing exciting work. It's a young organization, lots of fun things, dedicated founders. And so I'm really happy to be involved in, again, part of the solution to make sure that when devices are developed, when technologies are developed, we're starting on the front end of that process with the right mindset. So that the outcomes have um, a great impact.
1: What is the bridge between that experience and your introduction to medtech color? I mean, was that phone call or that first conversation look like?
2: Part of the bridge really was the the need for diversity um, in in healthcare and healthcare, um, you know, medical device development is an extension of healthcare. You know, lots of times people just consider healthcare delivery to be care providers delivering that that model of care. But when you have technologies and when you have um, digital health applications, those extensions are also extending to, you know, customers, patients, people who need the help. And so as I started to think about how the world is changing, you know, we all hear about AI, you know, we <laughs> all know about applications, how uh, application development has uh, really ramped up, that's not going to, that's not going to stop. And so, uh, this organization really, to me is on the front end of the opportunity to really make an impact in a positive way.
0: So one of the things I've, uh, always enjoyed about the talking to, to the competitors in your pitch competition is the variety of stories. they they go beyond technologies. Um, there's service solutions, there's digital health solutions. Uh, and, and I'd say, in almost every case, there's a personal connection as well, a personal story that really uh, explains why that entrepreneur is trying to solve this particular problem. And I just think that's a, always a powerful part of, of this episode. Um, and I think it's also a connector. I mean, we, we hear stories that I know Kayla and I were talking before you hopped on the call, just stories that that resonated with us as well um and and left powerful impressions and and is always a great reminder i think is to what really is at the core i hope is what is I, I like to believe is at the core of medtech is that we're we're trying to solve problems as things get as organizations get bigger uh i think uh i think priorities can sometimes move in different directions but i like to think at the at the very base it's this this service uh component, the service mission that uh, these competitors really just just exemplify. They're really fantastic. So um, I'm really happy that MedTech Color highlights them and gives us the opportunity to, to amplify that highlighting. So it's, this, is a, this is always a, a great episode for us. And it's great to have you as, as part of it. Do you have a vision for MedTech Color from here? Uh, you know, I came to know it a few years ago. Uh, it continues every year to sort of add something new, which is exciting. Uh, do you have a, a, a vision or, or a long term plan that you'd like to share?
2: Yeah. So it, listen. So we,
0: and I know you just started. So I feel a little, I'm like, well, wait a <laughs> minute, Tom, give her a break. <laughs> no, I mean,
2: well, the funny thing is, I've been thinking about this for a while since day one. Yeah. Uh, and because, I mean, because of the connection between, you know, the, the experience that I had before coming to MedTech Color and, and the extension of healthcare delivery. Obviously, the overarching mission is to diversify MedTech, right? Mm-hmm. To make sure that there are more people of color um, in leadership positions, mm-hmm. whether it's CEO or executive level, but really just to provide a network and build that network of people of color so that folks can tap into it, right? So so my vision um, is to grow the pitch competition Mm -hmm. so that we're providing a hub where founders can get funded to innovate and be a part of the solution, but then also to connect that and grow the entire network of med tech professionals in this country.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, And in doing that, really establish a community where people can come together, uh, lead thought leadership, whether it's, again, be a part of the solution to help diversify clinical trials, to help uh-huh. diversify the product development lifecycle, um, and, and really, you know, have a seat at the table in terms of decision making um, as it relates to the future of medtech. tech. Um, and so, you know, once you have a community and once you have a, a, a platform to support that, then fun things happen. Um, and, you know, I'm here for it. That's I am here for it. That's
0: exciting. Um and and I do I know I don't I'm am we have another conversation I think later today where we're talking about another project we're working on. And I don't want to give too many details on that, but again, it really relates to um MedTech Color's overall mission of you really do identify the problems out there and, and develop action plans to solve them. And I just think that's so admirable. So um can't wait to can't wait to Share more details on, on on what we're working on
1: uh, Katrina you know how you were speaking about MetaColor as an organization actually shares a lot of the same themes and goals as your finalists and that has been I think a common thread throughout all of the interviews that I've had the privilege of conducting over this last week is uh, trying to build a community, build an ecosystem and put the um put the, the people in the right places or right right people in the right places at the right time for forward action. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's really special to be uh, involved in the, in the way that Tom and I have the privilege of being involved, where we can amplify that goal and that message and try to bring more supporters into your ecosystem and more supporters into the ecosystem of your finalists. Because if we all are able to collaborate and work together, I think, as you said, uh, that's where the fun is.
2: That's where the fun is. And, you know, and, and if I think about um, one of the challenges and opportunities um, that the organization has is to grow the community and, you know, pitch is one of those ways to provide value and to help support um, and then we're hoping that the community aspect is such that if we build it, they will come. Yes. Because I, I can't tell you how many times you know I talk to folks; they're like, "Well, it's, you know, it's hard to find people. Where are they?" Um, they are out there, and you know, the more that we can do in, in making an impact, I think that um, you know you start to have this this FOMO, right? This fear of missing out. Mm -hmm. You know, whether they'll come to the networking reception that we host in the fall, you know, at the AvaMed conference or whether they will refer somebody to our pitch competition. Um, We know that founders are out there. They have ideas. They're looking for funding. They're looking for a community. And we want to make sure that we're on the radar and and that we're that we are the first thing they think about.
0: Uh, final question. And we didn't, we don't prep, obviously we don't prepare for these interviews. We just say, Hey, we'll just, we'll just chat. So this is kind of a big question, but I would, I would love to know if, if you have a, an answer. I've been involved with this industry for 20 years, Kayleen for, for over a decade. You know, you get to any industry, you kind of get to know, it and you just sort of, your perspective is you try to keep it fresh, but you're just accustomed to seeing things a certain way. You're coming into this, into medtech from a, 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 a tangential, or a connected industry, healthcare. But landing here in this spot, I know if it's only been a month or two, but has anything kind of surprised you about the medtech industry? Anything sort of um, caught your eye or, or excited you or concerned you? I'm just curious if you have any, any fresh perspectives that you can share with us and, uh, and with our listeners.
2: Um, I, you know, and this is, I'll, I'll probably say this and people will probably say, well, why did that surprise you? surprise in a good way. Uh, what surprised me the most and kind of really made me excited is the amount of innovation in this industry. And it's what it's all about. I mean, people are really being creative with their solutions. They're, they're taking their own problems that they either have you know, faced personally or professionally or out there you know, in the industry. And they are doing real life innovation, building things, and and pulling people together in the in the ecosystem that can help support that vision. Um, so for me, it was almost a perfect marriage of creativity and and uh, problem solving that comes together to form a solution that hopefully can help impact uh, the world in in a great way. Well said. Well,
0: well said. Yep. Stuck the landing on that one. All right. Well. I'm glad. well this is uh, again. This is it's wonderful to be working on this episode with uh, with Medtech Color. It's great to, to have another another friend and partner to be working with and, and uh, with the organization. And uh, thanks for thanks for joining us on the podcast.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Well, before we begin this episode, I'm so excited to bring in our sponsor Medmark. Uh, coincidentally, Medmark. Had reached out to us at Device Talks and uh, was interested in sponsoring a podcast and asked specifically if we were doing something with MedTech Color. So we were very happy to let them know we were working on this episode. And I'm extremely pleased to be joined by my old friend Lynn Carney, who's Director of Agency and Alliances at MedMark. Lynn. We see MedMark at our device talks meetings. We know you're a big mover in the industry. Uh, People see the name all over the place. But uh, I think we need to ask the question, can you tell us about MedMark?
4: I would love to. So MedMark was founded in 1979 by 31 members of AvaMed. There was a liability crisis in the 1970s and 80s in the U.S. They were pulling police cruisers off the street. They were pulling swing sets out of playgrounds, and likewise, the medical device industry was having the same problem. Even a simple monitoring device like a blood pressure cuff couldn't find a million dollars worth of coverage. So those 31 companies founded Medmark. We have been in business for the past 45 years protecting the industry. So we offer product liability, manufacturer's E&O, and then excess liability for those companies building a tower of insurance.
0: Wow. I actually had no idea that that was the origin of Medmark, and... um... That was the reason it was created. That's really fascinating. So uh, let's get into how you work with metal device companies. Uh, what does is, what is MedMark do? What are the services you provide? Actually, you know what? We've got a long episode ahead of us, so we'll uh, we'll save MedMark's story for the continuation of the story for a little later in the podcast. If you need more information now about MedMark, go to MedMark, dot com. Hi, everybody. Tom here. So let me tell you how the rest of this episode will roll out. Kayleen Brown and I interviewed the 13 finalists for the MedTech Color Pitch Competition. And uh, we in, we interviewed them individually, but we asked them the same questions. We asked them what problem they're trying to solve, because that's a big thing that we're focusing on here at Device Talks, and what is their solution uh, if there was time We asked a quick follow-up or two, but we really tried to keep the conversations to close to four minutes. Maybe we'll touch five here and there, but we tried to keep them on the shorter side. So uh, I think it'll give you a great, concise uh, profile of what they're working on, uh, what's important to them, and what their approach is. And uh, they each have individually great stories. Uh, Many of them, as we talked about with Katrina, are focused by real life experiences, and uh, I think it's a it's a compelling, um, really a compelling compilation, huh. compelling compilation, of um, of medtech stories. So I, I know you'll enjoy the rest of this uh, of this episode. So uh, one final thing: we also recorded uh, the videos as we were interviewing them. That won't help you here on the podcast, but we are making those videos available. To each of the finalists in MedTech Color to share on social media. So keep your eyes out for that. And once again, the fourth annual pitch competition will be on March 15th. You can go to medtechcolor.org for more information about that. All right, so let's get this started. I actually conducted the first interview, I had uh, the great pleasure of speaking with Angel Enriquez. He is the CEO and founder of Emboa Medical which is uh, operating in the stroke space. Let's listen. Well, and Helen Riquez, welcome to the podcast.
5: Thanks for having me, Tom.
0: Let's, uh, let's get into the problem that Emboa Medical is trying to solve. What, what are you targeting in healthcare?
5: So we're targeting a specific subset of stroke. Stroke is the second leading cause of death worldwide. And 87% of stroke cases are caused by acute ischemic stroke or the deprivation of blood flow to a region caused by the blockage of an artery. Now, 800,000 Americans suffer from stroke each year, and in fact, non-Hispanic adults of color are two times more likely than white adults to suffer from first-time stroke. This is an extremely time-sensitive condition, and it's where the common phrase of time is brain comes from. Swiftly reestablishing blood flow to the brain is critical because you can avoid complications such as memory loss, paralysis, or loss of speech. Now, instead of waiting for intravenous medication to come in and break down the clot, surgeons have tools at their disposal to physically grab and remove them and restore that blood flow. This procedure is known as mechanical thrombectomy, and it's been established as a safe procedure and even more effective than just clot-breaking medication alone. There are two strategies or a combination of them that surgeons can use. One of them is a stent retriever. Uh, It's a tiny mesh tube like device that is able to grab onto the clot and sort of retrieve it. And there is also the aspiration catheter where they apply negative pressure and try to suck it in or ingest the blood clot completely. Unfortunately, the problem still remains that in these smaller sized blood vessels that are known as uh, medium vessel occlusions, there are 45% up to 45% of the ischemic stroke cases, there's a difficulty in treating them. And this is because they're smaller, they're more fragile, therefore they're prone to injury, specifically stent retrievers. They're known to have a 10% higher risk of damaging the blood vessels than aspiration catheters, but aspiration catheters themselves aren't adequately designed for this space because with the smaller size, their aspiration force also decreases. And therefore, we notice there is a critical gap in mechanical thrombectomy technology for these medium vessel occlusion cases. A tool is needed that can provide high blood clot extraction force while maintaining a lower risk associated with conventional aspiration methods.
0: And how is how is going to solve that problem? What are you what are you hoping to uh, What are you working on that you hope will solve this problem?
5: Yeah, so Emboa Medical's proposed solution is the thrombus retrieval aspiration platform, or TRAP for short. And it presents a new approach to increase extraction forces for these medium vessel sized occlusions. We embed a biomimetic structure into the distal tip of the inner diameter of the catheter. And the idea is to create a force in the extraction force, uh, in the extraction direction that wasn't available before. Uh, The design consists of a unidirectionally aligned concentric ring of teeth that facilitates aspiration with higher extraction forces by grabbing onto the blood clot. Our preliminary data demonstrated that the teeth array embeds into the blood clot and prevents disengaging from the catheter tip. The bioinspired trap design actually demonstrated a greater than 200% increase in extraction force independent of the catheter diameter compared to a traditional smooth inner diameter catheter. We believe this elegant and manufacturable solution will enable access to more distal obstructions and the smaller size vessels to promote more market opportunities and provide a new solution for medium vessel occlusion stroke.
0: Great, and final question, what does the regulatory path look like for you?
5: So we're looking at a 510K clearance regulatory path. We've identified a couple of predicate devices that uh, we'll be using for uh, uh, the clearance.
0: All right, great. Well, it's an important problem and uh, a hopeful solution that you're working on. Thanks for uh, sharing your story on the podcast.
5: Thank you for having me.
0: Really appreciate it. All right, and that is Mboa Medical Story. Next, we're going to bring in Expect. Uh, Kayleen Brown spoke with Dara Cook. She is the founder and CEO of Expect. And Expect is working to tackle the uh, growing issue of infant mortality in this country. Let's listen.
1: Welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to sit down with you and learn more about Expect. But first, huge congratulations for being a top 10 finalist for the 2024 MedTech Color Pitch Competition. Congratulations. Thank you. So let's start 40,000 feet in the air. What problem exactly is Expect trying to solve?
6: Well, I found it expect because women in America today are more likely to die from pregnancy complications than our grandmothers were over 50 years ago. And now for the first time in 20 years, our infant mortality rate is rising across races. Now, Unfortunately, these deaths are the tip of the iceberg. Over a third of us women experience some complications from C-sections to gestational diabetes at a huge physical and financial cost. But what makes this so unforgivable is that we can prevent this. My sister is a great example. Despite being at an age when the odds of complications were high, she had a smooth pregnancy and a 20-minute labor. Her OBGYN credited one thing that set her experience apart. She exercised during pregnancy. Prenatal fitness is proven to reduce the risk of everything from premature births to postpartum depression by double-digit percentages. It's our most cost-effective tool to save and improve lives. Babies are healthier, too, with stronger hearts, better brain development, and much more. The governing body of OBGYNs now recommends regular pre- and postnatal exercise. Now the problem is many pregnant women don't work out because rightfully so, they don't know what is safe and find the few prenatal fitness options boring and unmotivating. And that's why I left my 20-year career at MTV where I learned how to captivate millions to move people in another way with expect.
1: Well, on behalf of the medical device industry, welcome. I'm so glad Thank that you. you joined us and excited to see how you're turning your beautiful career uh, into moving health forward in this way. So how, how is Expect trying to solve this very important problem and one that I identify with very personally?
6: Yes, you expect is fitness optimized for pregnancy and postnatal. And we are the only platform where every workout is approved by OBGYNs. And we make fitness addictive with music video style production and unparalleled diversity of race, gender, and body type. Because we're OBGYN approved, we can provide the broadest variety in the pregnancy space. So our streaming workouts span all three trimesters, Pre pregnancy, postnatal, we have dance, strength, cardio, yoga, Pilates, a pelvic floor series designed by a physical therapist and approved by a urogynecologist, and mindfulness. And you can find us on the uh, App Store or in the Google Play Store.
0: All right, so we heard Expect's story. Kayleen Brown next talked with Valencia Coomson. She is the co founder and CEO of a company, Kofimi technologies. Kofimi's looking to uh, develop a solution that will uh, that will handle the shortcomings of pulse oximeters, and it has a pediatric application as well. So let's listen to Kayleen Brown's interview, again, with Valencia Cumson, CEO and co-founder of Kofimi Technologies.
1: Welcome to the podcast, Valencia. Really appreciate you taking your time to walk us through why you are a top 10 MedTech Color finalist, as well as a top five pediatric devices finalist for MedTech Color. So with that, I know our audience is ready to understand why you have this double honor. So what exactly is the problem that you're trying
7: to solve? Thank you. Uh, non-invasive devices uh, play a very important role in our in healthcare management. And for over four decades, pulse oximeters have been such a non invasive device that has provided a way to measure blood oxygen saturation without the need for an invasive arterial blood gas test, which can be very costly and also can put the patient at risk for infection. During the COVID 19 pandemic, pulse oximeters were crucial for both in hospital and home based assessment of lung health and disease severity. The pandemic also highlighted some of the limitations of these devices and the many confounding factors that can cause an error in the reading of these devices. And one report showed that pulse oximeters can falsely overestimate oxygen saturation for patients based on the level of skin pigmentation. Now, this has a very profound um, impact because. An overestimated oxygen saturation reading means that you can potentially get delays in treatment it places, and, and places patients at high risk of organ dysfunction and death. For pediatric populations, um, this can also be very critical. The first medical device that's placed on a newborn in the delivery room is a pulse oximeter, and it's used to, to assess the health status of the baby. Um, Every newborn in the United States receives receives pulse oximetry readings in order to detect congenital heart defects. Um, Also, pulse oximeters are used um, throughout the care, throughout a child's lifetime um, for um, issues related to asthma, any sort of respiratory issues. And so our goal is to, to address this issue and to really ensure that we design medical devices, and particularly the pulse oximeter device, in a way in which that it provides accurate readings for all populations, for all ages, and for all um, different ethnic populations as well, so, so that doctors and care providers can get the right information that they need in order to um, treat their patients. So
1: how is Kofimi technology addressing this problem or working to solve it?
7: Yeah, so Kofimi, we have an innovative solution to this issue. And what we're attempting to do and what what we have designed is a device, a pulse oximeter device, that uses semiconductor technology to apply additional computational power to the pulse oximeter and incorporating machine learning algorithms to help us to mitigate against the myriad of sources of noise um, that can cause error with these readings. These sources of error can come from the environment, um, the ambient light in the environment. It can come from motion. um, As the child is moving, it could also cause an error in the reading. Skin pigmentation um, can also be a confounding factor due to the absorption of melanin in the infrared region of the spectrum. Um, And a number of different user perturbations can cause these kinds of errors. So our device is designed to eliminate the sensitivity to these sources of error. Um, We also want to ensure that these devices are easy to use. Um, Very often, these devices are bought off the shelf, and or maybe a parent might buy a pulse oximeter, such as in my case. I have a son that has asthma, so I want to be able to buy a pulse oximeter off the shelf and to be confident that I'm using it correctly and that it's giving me a reading that's accurate for my child at at that period of time. And our technology also is cost effective. Uh, We want to design pulse oximeter devices that can be affordable for parents to have in the home for for both in-home monitoring and also in the hospital setting. That is an incredibly
1: thoughtful approach. And there's no wonder that you are a top 10 finalist for MedTech Color and a top five pediatric devices finalist. Valencia, this was such a pleasure. Thanks again.
0: We'll take a quick break from these pitches to bring back our sponsor, Medmark. I'm going to uh, pick up my conversation with Lynn Carney, who's Director of Agency and Alliances at Medmark. So uh, let's get into how you work with metal device companies. Uh, what does what Medmark do? What are the services you provide?
4: We insure everybody from the very smallest startup that's running out of their garage all the way up to your household multinational companies. We offer our main focus is product liability, which is if your product does bodily injury or property damage. And like I said, since we were founded from the industry, we are looking for coverage in our policy, whereas many of our competitors are large corporations that are trying to find ways to exclude claims. For instance, years ago, when the late Senator John Glenn was going up in the space shuttle, many of our clients had devices on him that were monitoring his health. So we wanted to cover that. So we took our policy and changed the territory definition to space and beyond so we could make sure that we were covering the late Senator's monitoring devices in a way that helped the industry and was innovative, just like our clients.
0: All right. Well, I love that story, uh, medical device product liability coverage in space. Uh, We've got a lot more to cover with Lynn Carney of MedMark. We'll uh, do that a little later in the podcast. If you want more information right now, go to medmark.com. I will get back to our pitch competition now. Our next conversation is with Dr. Wilman Ortega. He's a pulmonologist and he's the founder of of MD Driven, which is a pulmonary company, obviously, working in the respiratory space. Kaylee Brown conducted this interview with Dr. Wilman Ortega. Let's listen.
1: Well, Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Ortega. I really appreciate you taking your time to share your story. And before we dig in, I just want to give you a huge congratulations for being a MedTech Color Top 10 finalists. So what exactly is the problem that MD-driven is trying to solve?
8: Yeah, certainly. Um, As a pulmonologist, I see a lot of patients with troubles breathing. And breathing is not something that we normally think about until we lose our breath. Like, for instance, in the current COVID-19 pandemic, you know, um, and that has highlighted a few things that we've been dealing with. Uh, One is... um, COVID-19 pandemic has highlighted how sensitive and vulnerable we are to respiratory illnesses, but it also highlighted the uh, inequalities in access to healthcare for the elderly, people living in low socioeconomic conditions, and also people living with chronic respiratory conditions as well. So it is estimated that about 500 million people in the world live with chronic respiratory conditions, such as COPD, asthma cystic fibrosis, bronchiectasis, and others. These conditions are characterized by periods of stability with unpredictable flare-ups that we call exacerbations. Uh, It is also estimated that by 2050, there will be about 600 million people in the world living with COPD alone. So the question is, how do we take care of 600 million people in the world? And that's exactly the problem we're trying to address here.
1: That is not a small problem. 600 million people. So what are some of the steps or direction that MD Driven is, is going to try to solve this mammoth
8: problem? Right. So we have created a solution called Resp, And Resp is an AI-enabled medical device platform that does three things. One is a medical device that gathers respiratory signals from people living anywhere in the world. And it gathers lung sounds, respiratory patterns, and other respiratory signals on a hands-free manner. So very easy to use. Two, the AI-enabled technology that we're creating will allow us to create a digital fingerprint of the person's respiratory patterns and sounds. And that will allow us to identify early any evidence of an acute flare-up or exacerbation. And three, a virtual respiratory therapist could come behind and evaluate the patient, develop a care plan, go over the medications, and educate the patient as well so that we can avoid this exacerbation and prevent further deterioration and perhaps an emergency room visit or a hospitalization.
1: Well, what exactly is that regulatory pathway look like?
8: Yeah, certainly. So it's a long pathway, uh, and we recognize that. It's not going to happen tomorrow. And we're taking a a logical, stepwise approach. So the first step is to get our device out in the market. And we're taking advantage of a 510K exemption uh, that will allow our long auscultation device to be out in the market by the end of the year. Following that, we will be developing the algorithms and gathering more data. Following that, we hope to compare all RISP platform to standard of care in patients living with COPD at home to prove our ultimate value proposition, which is decrease exacerbations, emergency room visits, hospitalizations, and hopefully improve outcomes in general.
1: Well, best of luck and congratulations again, Dr. Ortega, for being a MedTech Color finalist. And thank you again for sharing your story.
8: Thank you. I appreciate your time. All right. Now we'll
0: hear from Carlos Munez. He is CEO and co-founder of a company called Reblood RX that is developing technology that can help soldiers in the battlefield. Let's listen. Well, Carlos Munoz, welcome to the podcast.
9: Thank you for having me.
0: Carlos, let's learn about Reblood Rx. Uh, What problem are you trying to solve?
9: So Reblood Rx is a company that was formulated in order to solve a problem in terms of what's known as preventable death, especially in the military. Now, this is the idea of not being able to treat a soldier when they're injured in the battlefield. Uh, Generally, in extreme blood loss situations, they're given... Sometimes crystalloids or coralloids, these solutions that don't necessarily have the ability to carry oxygen, but are mainly just fluids to make sure that the heart has something to pump. And so the soldier doesn't um, die, essentially. But one of the major um, instances that is going on currently is the idea of bringing blood onto the battlefield. However, that can be a little bit cavalier as it's an actual organ. So bringing an organ onto these conditions... Um, make it challenging. You know, you need to refrigerate the blood, you need to cross-match the patient. And so what we did over at the University of California, San Diego, was trying to address this issue to give combat medics a solution to carry on to the battlefield. So that's pretty much the problem that we're trying to uh, solve here.
0: That's amazing and and so important. How how did you uh, solve that problem? Tell us a bit about your technology.
9: So when we were approaching this problem, we took it under consideration of what should the solution have. And what the solution needed was three major things. Was the ability to not be stored at any temperature. So it can you know range from extreme cold to extreme heat. Didn't need to be cross-matched per patient to make sure that it was fast and easily um, administered. And finally, it had to have a long storage life as you might be able to know that blood has a very limited storage life. And so when we started considering options, we thought something as simple as hemoglobin. So hemoglobin is the protein that's inside our red cells that it's responsible for carrying oxygen to all the tissues. And that membrane that surrounds the hemoglobin protein is mainly used to make sure that the vasculature can play nice with it in layman's terms and things like that. But what we did is we purified out that protein. And this comes from a long line of research, maybe goes back to the early 1950s and leading up to this point. But basically the idea was simple, use hemoglobin to transfuse patients in order to give them what's known as an oxygen bridge. And fast forward to today, You know, a lot of my PhD research under the guidance of Dr. Pedro Cabral was really to optimize the solution. And thankfully, through, you know, continuous research, we've come up with what we believe to be an optimal, functional, uh, and healthy oxygen bridge.
0: Fantastic. And final question, what sort of uh, regulatory approval do you have uh, ahead of you?
9: So we have a long road ahead of us, especially in the human market. We're going to be uh, a biologic, so we're going to have to file for you know all the bells and whistles that has to do with the FDA, go through all the clinical trials. Right now, we have a small subset of small animal testing, but we do have commitment from uh, Army Futures Laboratory over with the 7-Eleven Human Performance Wing in order to move the solution from small animals into large animals. Uh, we'll be kicking that off coming in June, and uh, we're hoping for some good resolve, and then from there you know, start working on scaling for production and really start interacting a lot with the FDA to get things going for what would be uh, clinical trials.
0: Fantastic. Well, it's a a great story and an important story. And congratulations on on being a finalist. Best of luck. And thanks for, uh, for joining us on the podcast, Carlos.
9: Thank you, Tom, for having me.
0: I right, we'll take a quick break from these pitches to bring back our sponsor, MedMark. Once again, I am speaking with Lynn Carney. She's Director of Agency and Alliances at MedMark. Lynn, you've given us a lot of reasons why medical device companies come to MedMark. I know you have some more. Can you, uh, can you complete the list and let us know uh, what are some of the other services you provide?
4: All right, so I gave you one and two. We were founded by the industry. And we continue to sponsor organizations to make sure that we're part of the industry. We also tailor our coverage. I'm certainly happy to give you more examples if you contact me directly. And then our third reason, I think, would be our true worldwide coverage. Many of our competitors require your claim or suit to be brought back to the United States. We offer true worldwide coverage. Your claim can be in France or Germany or Asia, and we will defend you there, except from where it's federally prohibited. One of my favorite things is we have dedicated claims reps. Many of our competitors have claims reps that are doing all kinds of insurance. So one day they may be doing a truck rollover claim and the next day, your claim. Even if it's just a product liability claim rep, they might be doing oil and gas one day and then your claim the next. With our claims reps, you don't have to teach them the industry. They understand your science. They understand the regulatory concerns you're in. And so they're handling these things day in and day out. And they're dedicated to the industry. Again, Quick aside: One of some of our competitors hire third-party administrators that have never handled a medical device claim. We handle all of our claims in-house through our defense network that is international and our dedicated claims reps. And lastly, many of our competitors have a long list of excluded products. It can be several pages long. So, in every year they add that. Frankly, no one reads their insurance policy every year, though we do recommend it. And they may add a component of your product or even your product in that long list of excluded products. So if you don't catch it, now you have actually jeopardized your coverage. We do not have a long list of excluded products. So as I talked about, it can be several pages long. One of our competitors has a policy form that's over 200 pages. Ours is 20 pages. And I think it reads like a book. You start at the beginning and you read it throughout. Several of our competitors had these 200 page documents. Like on page 189, they may be broadening or restricting a coverage that they talked about originally on page 76. So to go through their policies, you're constantly ear tagging it so that you can flip back and forth to figure out where they're taking away coverage or where they're giving coverage. So those are my five quick reasons, but I think I actually just slipped six in there. So we have founded by the industry, tailored coverage, true worldwide, dedicated claims reps, not a long list of excluded products, and our short policy form.
0: All right, fantastic. That is a great list and uh, I think one people will be paying attention to. We're going to take one final break uh, from our sponsor message from MedMark to get back into this episode. If you need more information you want to reach out to MedMark, go to medmark.com. I will pick up again now with our uh, startup, MedTech Color startup competitor stories. I had the chance to interview Sana Gaspar. She is the founder of Rubitection and Actually, I met Senna uh, at a pitch competition in Massachusetts uh, last year, so it was uh, very nice to reconnect with her. Not surprised at all that she's a finalist in this competition, and uh, let's hear her story and the story of Rubitex. Well, Senna Gaspard, welcome to the podcast.
10: Thank you, Tom. I'm excited to be here today. Thank you for the opportunity.
0: Our pleasure. I want to uh, make sure that our, our listeners hear Rubitexian's story. So tell us a bit about the problem that uh, you're trying to solve by uh, by founding Rubitexian.
10: Well, so I have my doctorate in biomedical engineering with a specialization in medical device development. Um, during my PhD, I really wanted to work on a solution that can improve care for patients. And I came across um, the problem of chronic wounds. Oftentimes, they are missed at the early stage when they're the easiest to treat because the clinical diagnostic test is manual and unreliable. Um, It relies on the user to see and feel changes in the skin and identify areas of redness. Mm -hmm. So um, I decided, you know, this was something that could be solved with technology. Um, And went about developing Rubitaction solution, the Rubitact assessment system, which you can see here, which allows the user to replicate the same manual test Um, to get objective data needed to drive patient-specific care plans, as well as to support early intervention and treatment on patients. And it also serves to remove the health disparity associated with that manual test, which doesn't work very well on darker skin tones. So with that, we are addressing chronic wounds like diabetic foot ulcers, bed sores, venous leg ulcers, as well as other chronic dermatological conditions where a physician relies on inflammation in the skin to make a diagnosis.
0: And how does a rib detection device do this? What is it measuring?
10: Um, so it's actually measuring uh, inflammation indicators. So for example, uh, skin redness associated with the vascular response. Um, it's measuring temperature. It's also measuring um, the, the um, consistency of the skin in a way to mm-hmm. see how flexible the skin is As it's uh, undergoing healing, or as it's getting more injured,
0: and is this uh, the it's doing all the analysis within the device, and how is it uh, transferring or communicating its its findings or results to a caretaker uh, or a physician?
10: Yeah, so the device actually works with a mobile healthcare app Mm -hmm. um, that supports the care management, telemedicine, allows them to monitor changes in in the skin and the injuries and the injured site, and then enables them to share the data with their family and friends as well. So from that, using the app and the device, you can enable remote patient monitoring in their home to allow early intervention, as well as data sharing amongst the care team.
0: Interesting. And uh, where are you in the development of the device? Um, Is there clinical or regulatory approval needed? Where, Where are you in that process?
10: Yeah, so as, that's a great question. As a medical device, we do have to get approval from the FDA. Mm-hmm. We're currently in the early stage where we, as I mentioned, have a current prototype right now. We Our solution is um, a non-invasive, low-risk device, so we can start immediately with patient testing. So we're just making skin measurements using optics. Um, so we've already began some of that patient testing, which with where the results came out positively, that we're able to detect that inflammation um, using this diagnostic test. And so we are uh, in the process of recruiting additional sites to do larger testing, so then we can then move into product development and manufacturing.
0: Excellent. And final question, uh, where do you see this being used? At, at home, in clinical settings, long-term care hospitals, all of the above?
10: Um, all of the above. Mm-hmm. We're really targeting hospitals, nursing homes, wound care clinics, rehab centers, and ultimately home care, um, I think where we can have the biggest impact. So if you want to have early intervention, you need to go where the patient is, which is generally in their home. This is also going to have a huge impact for healthcare in rural settings, where it's difficult to get the wound care expertise or early intervention. Um, and then at then that case, it leads to amputation, high treatment costs, and can ultimately lead to the death of the patient. So we're really trying to make this wound care and skin care equitable, accessible, and affordable, no matter where the patient is or what the color of their skin is, making it uh, available to everyone.
0: That's fantastic. Well, it's, a, it's an important mission. Uh, looks like a great product. Thank you for uh, for joining us on the podcast.
10: Thank you so much for your time today and for allowing me to share your vision and our potential impact on care with your audience.
0: All right, we're back with another MedTech Color Startup Competition interview or startup competitor interview, and this one was done by me. I had the chance to speak with Luis Suarez. He is the founder of CenterEye, which is a company that is uh, looking to help people within the Latino community who need mental health support to find that mental health support. So uh, let's listen to this conversation I had with Luis Suarez of CenterEye. Luis Suarez, welcome to the podcast.
11: Thanks for having me, Tom.
0: So um Nice to meet you as well. I'm eager to uh, learn more about Santa Rai. Could you uh, tell us what, uh, what problem in healthcare are you trying to solve?
11: Yeah, so at Santa Rai, we exist because there is a massive gap to cover the Latino community's needs in terms of mental health. Only 5% of mental health professionals in the U.S. speak Spanish versus 13% of the population that speaks Spanish at home. And then treatment rates for this community are way below the average. In a context of a mental health crisis with booming demand for services and a shortage of mental health professionals, the problem is exacerbated for this community. And then the numbers I mentioned make it three times as hard to get behavioral health care services in Spanish. So this is a problem that I experienced myself. I'm originally from Mexico City, came to the U.S. to do my MBA, then worked in management consulting after I graduated for three years, and in 2020, I was looking for mental health support, and I was struggling to find someone that I could speak Spanish with, that I could fit in my schedule. So that's when I realized about this issue and decided to start Sanarai, initially by connecting folks that speak Spanish in the U.S. to mental health professionals in Latin America provide culturally sensitive Spanish language emotional support at accessible prices and that's still the core of what we do. So services in Spanish not only are super hard to get but also if you can do behavioral health services in your native language is going to be beneficial. The part about cultural relevance is important because when you start with your provider and there's a baseline of understanding and those initial matches are going to be the best predictors of a better outcomes be that folks stay longer and with their services and lastly given uh, the geographical arbitrage that we work with we're able to offer services at very affordable rates
0: that's interesting so and that's yeah that's a certainly a large problem uh across mental health i would think if you are trying to find a a, a, a someone with particular skill sets or ability to speak a language that makes the search all that much more harder so how does Sanurai, uh help solve this problem what do you you explain sort of what you're attempting to do but technically how are you uh, working to do this
11: yeah so we work now with a group of providers around 60 providers across the us Mexico and Argentina that are becoming experts, working with this community and understanding the, the problematic. And now um, we um, do around um, or, or over a thousand sessions a month. And um, we, with, with, um, yeah, like mostly go direct to consumer at this point where mm-hmm. folks find our website, book their sessions there. And we also have uh, some partnerships um, with Google, for example, as an enterprise customer, and then and the rest of the clients currently are community-based organizations that support the Latino community, and they're able to pay for the sessions and then provide them to their stakeholders.
0: Are they are they conducting the sessions over an app, or are you arranging for phone calls or Zoom calls, or how is the actual care being given?
11: Yes, we're mostly arranging and uh, for the sessions to happen over Zoom, mm-hmm. and uh, we do have um, a scheduling app that uh, where folks can go to our website, see the live availability of these providers, see their whole profiles, and a lot of a lot of you know their studies, their qualifications, what they specialize on, and then um, yeah, book sessions there, and then when you book, you're going to be receiving uh, automated. Notifications to your email and then when the time and when it's time for your session and the provider is going to be there uh, waiting on the zoom call
0: great well it's, it's important work and a, and a great story thanks for uh, sharing it on the podcast
11: thank you so much tom thanks for having me
0: all right and our next interview kayleen brown speaks with dr cephas e simmons senior he is the founder and ceo of sealcalf SEALCATH is developing technology that could help patients who are being treated, neonatal patients who are being treated for impacted bowels. Let's listen.
1: Well, Sifas, thank you for joining us and welcome to the podcast. Congratulations again on being a MedTech Color finalist. Before we really dig into it, let's go 40,000 feet in the air. So what exactly is the problem that you're trying to solve?
12: Well, thank you for uh, the opportunity to speak again. Uh, again, my name is Cephas Simmons, and the uh, the problem that we're solving is 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 uh, with mucus fistula refeed. So it's it's in neonatal patients um, that born with a some type of bowel disorder. And in order to treat that bowel disorder, we have to the surgeons go in and they they dissect the bowel at some point, and then they bring it up through the skin, and they have two holes. One is a they call a proximal limb; the other one is a distal limb. Uh, And the proximal limb is basically the one that comes down from the stomach, and then the waste is put into a bag, as you would see some patients with ostomy with a little bag on their stomach. Um, And then the bottom part is called the mucus fistula, which is the portion that um, we are trying to uh, create a catheter for. And that actually, when it's not being fed, it expels mucus because the bowel tissue makes mucus, um, the inner lining of the stomach, and it propels that mucus um, and that's why the short day mucous fistula comes from. Um, but in general, what happens is when the when the kids have the separation, the upper part of the bowel is getting fed properly and getting all the nutrient, but some of the absorption that goes that occur in the distal part or the lower stomach or the lower bowel uh are not getting that absorption. So what the mucous fistula refeed does is it takes the content out of the upper part and feeds it into the lower part so that there's no void in the nutrient absorption for the patient. So what they're doing now is they're using whatever catheter they can, because there's nothing spe- specific for mucous fistula refeed. And they're having a lot of problems with uh, the catheter leaking or falling out during the procedure. So they came to me and asked me if I could uh, come up with an idea from my technology that would work for them. So at that point, um, we are actually interviewing uh, some pediatric surgeons, some neonatologists, uh, nurses and nurse practitioners in that area and trying to understand exactly what their pain point are. And then after we find out where the pain point are, then we're going to go back and uh, create a double balloon catheter that will work for for mucus fistula refeeds without having a mess of leaks.
1: Well, so you have the need, a very clear need, and now you're yes. going through the process of understanding how to create something that can help uh, serve that need. Or um, how, how, how has that process gone, or do you have a systematic approach uh, to meeting with the clinicians and understanding even more what those needs are?
12: Absolutely. Um, what I've done so far, I've, I've interviewed uh, about 50 candidates so far. Um, in the last month and a half. And I've gotten a lot of the information that I need as far as the size, the length, um, all their pain points, and what they would like to see in the product. So I've got all that data. Um, I think I'm going to interview maybe 10 more people. Uh, and then after those, um, we're going to actually sit down, collect all, com- compile all the data together, come up with an idea, and start a protocol for research.
1: Oh, well, best of luck. That is A huge undertaking, but very encouraging. So what kind of regulatory pathway does this look like? I mean, how do you approach that?
12: Um, Since what we're doing is considered a non-sterile process, um, a non-sterile catheter would be a a class one. Uh, If for some reason, we had to do it to where it was sterile in case they have to go into the OR to do it. um, Then it becomes a class two. So um, right now, we're looking at a class one, but that could change... um, If I get more input, that they would prefer to do all these in the OR instead of at the bedside.
1: Once again, Cephas, congratulations on being a MedTech Color finalist. And I'm excited to see how it turns out. Best of luck to you.
12: Thank you very much. All right.
0: And Kayleen Brown is back with another interview. She spoke with Denise Wharton. Denise Wharton is the founder and the CEO of Suma. And Suma is tackling the problem of licensing healthcare professionals, making sure we have enough of them. Let's listen.
1: Denise, welcome to the podcast. Well, before I dig in, I just want to congratulate you on being a MedTech Color finalist. That's very, very exciting. And I want to hear more about Suma. So with that in mind, can you take our audience through what is what is the problem really that is trying to solve?
13: We are trying to ensure that there are enough licensed healthcare providers ready to take care of the population.
1: That is a problem that I think that our industry has been trying to solve in one way or the other since the dawn of healthcare. What are some steps that Suma specifically is taking?
13: Yeah, I, I, I agree. There's definitely a lot of ways that this problem can be tackled, and I what I think makes suma unique is that we're tackling it from the licensing side so to be a healthcare provider you you just have to have a license you have to be able to um maintain and get that to operate in hospitals and urgent cares and with licensing, there are certain requirements you have to meet. You have to file documentation on time. You have to take the correct continuing education. You um, need to take hours outside of that, for example. Uh, for communities that are marginalized, which are usually your direct care workers, they're usually positions held by women of color, low-income, um, Uh, single mothers, for example, they have a harder time filing their documentation on time because they got a million other things to do. So what happens when they don't hit those requirements is they end up losing their license. And what that means is now the patient doesn't have a provider, the employer doesn't have an employee, there's no direct care worker that can come in legally and do the work. So we identified that problem actually, because my mother was a direct care worker, she used to work for many years, um, taking care of vulnerable populations, and she often had a hard time filing the right documentation. So after identifying that, we developed a software that streamlined the whole uh, licensing process. We made it kind of like a personal trainer, but for your license. So it would tell you you needed to take these hours at this time, you needed to file this document. If there was something time sensitive that needed to be done, we would set a reminder for you. And we allowed all that information to be centralized. So instead of the paper, usually it's a paper kind of thing that you would have to do instead, it's now digital. So you can upload certificates, you can track them, you can export them, you can send them to the right agency. And turnaround times were reduced by 65%. So we had less people dropping out. Yeah, more people staying in the workforce, which meant that there's more patients that could receive care. And um, since these people were bilingual, you know, there's a lot of now patients, patient providers that wouldn't have had access that do have access now.
1: What's next? What's the vision?
13: Yeah. So the next thing is, getting them access to all of this cool, innovative stuff that's happening across the, the country. There are so many different universities, organizations, and associations that are coming out with material that's that's advancing how we treat dementia, that's uh, solving different ways to deal with Alzheimer's or cancer, and how do we get this high-level information, continuing education into the direct care provider's hands? Um, So we're working with healthcare organizations to get them onto the platform approved by the state and creating a central marketplace, kind of a two-sided marketplace where we have the licensing entities, the healthcare providers, and the education opportunities all existing, sharing their information, easily exporting it, and creating an ecosystem that allows us to kind of create this really robust, advanced, licensed community.
1: Again, it is not a surprise to me why you are a finalist with MedTech Colors Pitch Competition. Huge congratulations again, and thank you for sharing your story with us. Best of luck. Thank you.
0: And next, Kayleen Brown spoke with Maria Napolis. She is the CEO of TNC Medical. TNC Medical is tackling the problem of G-tube reinsertion. Let's listen.
1: Maria, welcome to the podcast. We're so excited to have you here and to learn more about TNC Medical Solutions and why you're a top five pediatric devices finalist for MedTech Color. So again, thank you for joining us.
14: I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. Thank you.
1: So let's dig in. What exactly is the problem that TNC Medical Solutions is trying to solve?
14: Okay. Okay. So I'll take a step back. So TNC was incorporated in 2021 in honor of my dad, Dr. Adolfo Napoles, who unfortunately passed away that same year from pancreatic cancer. Um, He is actually the inventor of our technology. Um, My dad was a passionate ER physician and cosmetic surgeon with a strong focus on patient care. So while working in the ER, he was often pulled away from more critical cases to perform important yet simple G-tube reinsertions. So this showed him that there was a true unmet need in G-tube reinsertions.
1: Wow. I know personally that that's a huge issue. And I know just from my experience in the industry that it's one of those issues that really haven't been uh, given the time needed. So To that point, how does TNC, how are you attempting to solve that problem?
14: Sure. So currently, uh, G2 placement is one of the most commonly performed pediatric procedures in the U.S., and there are over 300 conditions that can cause a child to require a feeding tube. And although children are generally healthy and they're not thought of as a large market, but in the G-tube space, they make up 40%, about 40% of total users, and the rate of reinsertion is significantly higher than those in adults. Um, so while G-tube placements are common and fairly simple, complications are high, especially in pediatrics. So over 60% of patients who present to the ER with a dislodged G-tube have avo- which are very avoidable um, visits, uh, very avoidable So, what we're trying.
1: (laughs) I I had no idea. So, this is fascinating to me. So, what is it that you're trying to do?
14: So, timely placement uh, once a G tube is dislodged is required to prevent stoma stenosis. Um, Parents and caregivers alike can replace the G tube at home, but a lack of proper equipment, difficulty in placement, or discomfort with the procedure. Um, often prompts them to come to the ER for assistance. So coupled with that is a concern of misplacement of the G-tube during and after the reinsertion process. So what we do is our patented device and method addresses the issue of maintaining some patency while also providing uh, ease and G-tube guidance. So our two-pronged patented approach has the potential to reduce healthcare utilization through process standardization and optimization of clinical resources by making routine reinsertions safer, simpler, and more efficient.
1: Well, there's no surprise whatsoever Mm -hmm. why you are a top five pediatric devices finalist for MedTech Color. Would you mind taking us through sort of what your regulatory pathway is? I'm really interested to know.
14: Sure. Uh, We are a class two device. Our um, regulatory consultants and team Um, are right now uh, gearing up for our clinical trials. And we are preparing for and actually about to file our uh, 510k precepts. So we're excited about that. We're anticipating uh, speedy approval and looking forward to the trials. Yeah. Well,
1: two huge congratulations for both of these next steps. I really appreciate you spending your time with us today. And congratulations again.
14: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: All right, this is our final visit with Lynn Carney. Again, she's director of agency and alliances at MedMark. Lynn, I'm learning a lot about the medical device industry and about MedMark. Uh, I'm sure I'm missing something. What is something that uh, that you want to talk about that really uh, gets you excited when you talk about MedMark?
4: Oh, I would love to talk about a risk management department. It might be my favorite part of MedMark. So we have our risk management department is staffed with former FDA attorneys and former litigators. They can help your clients with their warnings and labels, help them with their contracts with suppliers, because you want to make sure in your contracts, you are not getting risk transferred to you. Contracts can actually claim what risks are yours and what risks are your suppliers. They won't write the contract for you. But they can go through it with you and advise you on it. So when you actually go to your attorney, hopefully you're saving some money at that attorney to get your contract done the way it is. They also all offer free webinars that are open to anyone. And I do suggest you go to our website to see if you can find some webinars that you might want to listen to. They also offer classes. My favorite class that they offer is Writing Defensively to Mitigate Product's Liability Risk, or as I call it, Word Choice. They go through and teach your employees how to craft emails so that they are not increasing your product liability risk. It has some great examples in there of things of emails that came out of actual claims where it was very damning evidence against our client. And so they want to teach you proactively on how to make sure that doesn't happen. We want everybody to take their own risk. As I often say, our risk management department is imitated but never duplicated.
0: Fantastic, Lynn. And I'll let you do the honors. How can folks find out more about Benmark?
4: As always, you can go to medmark.com. That's M-E-D-M-A-R-C.com. On our news and resources page, we have all the webinars I've mentioned previously. We have years and years of white papers that attorneys, our defense network, or our risk management have written, some that the marketing department have written to help you. You, know, you can go through, you can even filter, like I'm a distributor, I want to find these things. I do a cardiac device. We can pull up articles on your cardiac device. Also, there are the events that we do. Like I I said previously, we sponsor organizations and conferences. You'll see that we're at Device Talks in early May in Boston. We go to many conferences. And then when you find one of our representatives and ask your specific question.
0: Well, we can't wait to see MedMark at Device Talks Boston. Make sure you don't miss it either. Uh, Go to devicetalks.com to register. MedMark will be one of our great sponsors there. But of course, as Lynn said, there's lots of information on their website. Go to medmark.com. Dot com to find that thanks again to Medmark for sponsoring this episode of the device talks weekly podcast all right we are in the home stretch of these profiles three more to go coming up kayleen brown speaks with john sanwo of wearable dose wearable dose has really uh, fascinating technology that it says will revolutionize cancer treatment let's listen
1: Hi, John. Welcome to the podcast. Really appreciate you spending your time with us today. With that, what exactly is the problem that wearable dose is trying to
7: solve?
15: Okay. I'll first start by saying thank you for having us on the podcast. It's awesome. And we are super psyched about uh, being in the top five pediatric for MedTech color and looking forward to presenting and letting the world know about it. So I'll kick off by talking about wearable dose and uh, why we're in the top five. So we identified a critical challenge in cancer treatment, ensuring every patient receives the perfect amount of radiation tailored just for them. The stakes are high, too much radiation, harmful side effects, too little radiation, uh, unchecked cancer cells. uh, There's always the possibility of dosing healthy cells. This is even more crucial in in kids. Um, Kids, one of the examples I'll give is in talking to one of our uh, clinical partners, they mentioned Having a kid with a cancer cell beside their spinal cord and one millimeter off in the wrong direction, you essentially can cause major side effects than you, you, you see. So, the heart of the problem itself is patient movement is a wild card. If a patient moves during treatment, you can essentially understand the underdosing or dosing of healthy cells. Um, that in general, treatments are f- about five minutes. But the treatment sessions last between 15 to 30 minutes just because they're trying to account for patient movement during treatment, uh, making dosing even more precise. Real-time monitoring is also missing. So there's no way to really monitor what's going into the patient during the treatment. Um, And that has its own factors that that, uh, come into play, which means the doctor can adjust on on the fly what's going on. And then lastly, is static treatment planning. So the person, patient goes in, gets a CT scan. For weeks, they're working with uh, the doctors and the uh, medical physicists are working on a treatment plan. And that treatment plan is based on the original CT scan and planning the whole treatment for the period of time. Um, it doesn't incorporate any real-time data during the treatment itself. Uh, So that's what we're trying to address, and we're trying to fully optimize cancer. Uh, We're starting in the pediatric space. We're really excited for what we can do for children and um, patients and also adults as as a whole and adapting radiation therapy for real-time changes during the patient's treatment.
1: It never really occurred to me that you would need to have ongoing imaging during treatment To make sure the treatment is doing what it's supposed to do. It seems like (laughs) one of those slap you in the face, obvious problems.
15: How are you trying to solve it? So um, what we're trying to do is pretty simple. We're taking right now what are abstract models and calculations and plans and turning them to precision measures. We have a patented patch that goes on the patient. It's a flexible dosimeter. It measures the absorbed dose directly on the patient during treatment. So no more relying on models, no more relying on abstract calculations and plans that don't adjust with the patient as the patient is getting treatment. So we can provide real-time adjustable care. At the heart of wearable dose, we also have our machine learning model, which, can look at the absorbed dose, look at the treatment plan, look at how the patient is responding, and then dynamically adjust and provide uh, recommendations to the radiation therapist, the physicist, and the oncologist in real time as the patient is getting treatment based on the fact that we understand what's actually going into the patient. And finally, as I mentioned, real-time care. So transforming absorbed dose and looking at Um, the concept of as the patient gets treatment in between every single treatment, we're measuring what that patient is getting. And so we can optimally look at the treatment plan, make sure that patient um, is responding accurately, responding to the treatment plan, and possibly change it in between and optimize for a better dose on the fly as we go along.
1: That's very encouraging. (sighs) The future seems brighter. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, John, for joining us and sharing your story. I can't wait to see how this all turns out and best of luck. All
0: right. Thank you. All right. In our second to last profile or interview, uh, Kaylee Brown spoke with Jennifer Jakai Johnson, who is the founder of a company called Wellness. Uh, As we talked about with Katrina at the top of the podcast, uh, many of the, the stories we hear uh, from entrepreneurs like these are the personal connections, the, the personal reasons that um, they were inspired to start a company. And uh, Jennifer Jakai Johnson's story uh, is particularly moving and um, and we'll let her tell her story. That This uh, interview was edited uh, a bit. To uh, bring it in line with the others, but it's uh, it's still a little longer, but it's, it's so important and uh, so moving, and frankly, um, goes by in a blur. So uh, let us hear from Jennifer Jakai Johnson, founder of Wellness.
1: Well, welcome to the podcast, Jakai. Really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. And before we dig in, huge congratulations on being a MedTech Color finalist. So, so let's dig right in. What exactly is the problem that wellness is trying to solve?
16: Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, um, Well, one in two women will experience at least one or multiple traumatic experiences in their lifetime. And so those experiences can affect more than just their mental health. It can also affect their physical well-being. And so what we're doing at Wellness, we're providing a one-stop solution, a digital clinic that provides her the whole person care that she needs when she's gone through something traumatic. What many do not know is that when something traumatic happens, the very first to process it is your heart. Your heart has to process the trauma, then it's sends to the brain, then the brain processes and sends signals to your body. So all three are processing it eventually all together, right? And so what happens is traditionally in healthcare, when someone goes to something traumatic, they're just referred out to just a mental health therapist. they say, just go get a therapist. Um, and that's it. When in fact, we have forgotten about the heart, the stress it might've put on, put on the heart. We have forgot how it might affect the body. How did we find out about this? It was really my own personal journey. It was out of the unexpected passing of my son in 2019. He was 15 and he passed. Two months before turning 16 and i did not know that his passing was a traumatic experience because it was unexpected i also didn't know that my grief was traumatic grief so initially i followed the advice of what everyone tells me which was go get a therapist go find a support group go lead into a faith-based or spiritual community and the therapist journey was hard because what I learned in the therapist journey was that not every therapist is really deeply trained in grief or trauma. And so like the very first therapist I met with, she wanted me to write a goodbye letter to my son on the very first visit. And I was like, I, you know, I'm just this has just happened like it just had happened. And I was like, I haven't even processed what what, what I'm really living in right now. And then the next therapist, this therapist in particular, um, she said she did grief, and we spoke on the phone. It was very short. I told her what happened, and she's like, "Oh, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to work with you. Uh, you might need to find someone else." And that's when I under—that's when I started to learn, like not everybody's really uh, ready for grief. Therapists not all therapists can really do grief, and it is, and you can't take a two-day workshop. And deeply do grieve. So it was the very last therapist I met with. She was in her late seventies. She leans in, and little few tears come down her eyes, and she says, "I'm a mother. I'm a, gra- I'm getting emotional now. I'm a grandmother." And I, um, uh, you know, I never lost a child before, but we're gonna take this one day at a time. And that was the beginning of the journey, the therapy journey. I finally found someone who leaned in showed empathy and sympathy. But then about six months into my therapy and just into my grief, I call it the grief healing journey. um, My heart was hurting a lot. And and I knew even in my therapy sessions, I was like, this is just one aspect. I kept feeling like this is just one aspect because I was like, my heart is hurting. And so um, I go to the cardiologist and he takes a few tests and he says, you have broken heart syndrome. He said, broken heart syndrome is a real diagnosis. It can be fatal. And um, I can give you medication for this, but based on what you share with me, you have to do the healing. This is a healing journey. And he said, you also have a leaky heart valve. And I'll never forget when he said that, what instantly came to my mind was my heart is leaking for my son, literally. So it wasn't just the therapist. I needed a care team. I needed different people. And so I also went to a chiropractor. And I I can't remember why I went to the chiropractor. I think I was, my back was just hurting me. But When I got there, I told him what happened with my son. And he was like, you know, the grief sits in the body, right? And I was like, no, I did not know that. He was like, yes, grief sits in your body. He was like, while you're here doing treatments, I'm really just going to recommend you do massage therapy to move that grief around. And he was the very first doctor to talk about somatics. And Dr. Petey Levine, which is um, he's another amazing doctor in the trauma space who talks about somatic experiencing and somatic embodiment of how the body holds emotion and grief and all of that. And so eventually I had this care team. I had a cardiologist, I had a therapist, I had the trauma from yoga therapist, I did the journaling workshop, I went to this retreat, I had the chiropractor, I mean this a lot of different people on a journey you know, I'm starting to meet other women and we're talking and like, well, what did you do on your journey and how did you get help? And, you know, you seem to be doing so well. And can you do that for me? And, you know, oh, I mean, how did you find a really good, really good therapist? It's hard to find, you know, and how I mean, and so your heart, yeah, my heart, I always feel like something's wrong with my heart. They're just telling me this. And I was like, well, maybe I could put together something where I help women, you know, find the care that they needed." And I knew it had to be connected though because every clinician needed to know each other and talk to each other because later I did my research and I found about the OSHA collaborative integrative medicine I found about you know the Cleveland Clinic and their integrative appointments and I found about um, the Academy of Integrative Health and Medicine all this integrated medicine all this research and evidence and I was like hey this is, this is a real thing. We can do this. And so wellness was really mobilized after just learning what other women needed too and seeing this need to have whole person care that are just the heart, the mind, the body, and the spirit after one has been through something traumatic. And also seeing the collaborativeness of clinicians working together in community with our wellness. So we have individual appointments and then we have group appointments because you're not here to heal by yourself. You're here to heal in community.
1: Wow, Chikai. I mean, what what can I possibly say to follow up that journey uh, for lack of a better word, and I'm so grateful that you shared your story and you were so personal with me. It means so much. I'm I'm a mother as well. Thank you for sharing your story and congratulate I feel so silly to say congratulations, but really This is incredible what you're doing. Congratulations for making it as a MedTech Color finalist. You could not be more right. We need to work together, be collaborative. That's the only way that we can move forward. And thank you for bringing bringing awareness to a space that doesn't get talked about enough.
0: And our last contestant is an interview I got to do. I spoke with Blair Matthews. Blair is the co-founder, president, and COO of Zuri Fertility. Blair is taking on a problem uh, that he and his wife had experienced and turning it into a solution for others. Let's listen. Well, Blair Matthews, welcome to the podcast.
3: Thanks for having me. So
0: much. Anxious to hear Zuri Fertility's story. So tell us, what is the problem that you've identified and that you're trying to solve?
3: Yeah. So Tom, thanks for that question. Uh, imagine, you know, couples worldwide who are struggling to conceive, you know, the CDC just put out a report, you know, a a few months back that one in six couples worldwide can't get pregnant. Um, my wife and I were actually one of those couples and we experienced a lot of confusion, anxiety, and frustration that comes with the fertility journey. Um, And on average, it takes about three and a half years or 42 months for patients to even receive a diagnosis of infertility. The wait times are long, and a lot of people don't actually get to the true diagnosis of what their problem is until it's too late or too expensive or more invasive procedures are needed, such as IVF. And so you're fighting against a biological clock. Um, And, you know, maybe five or, you know, even a year can make a huge difference in the options available to you. And that's what we're trying to change here at Zuri. We're trying to change that access to care problem. Um, the biggest part of that problem is it leads patients to needing more expensive and invasive treatments, like I just mentioned. And that creates a huge emotional and financial burden.
0: So what's that, what is Zuri's solution?
3: Yeah. So uh, if I tell a little bit about my story and how we came up with that solution, my wife, um, thankfully, is a physician assistant. And it wasn't until she reached out to her network that we were able to actually get the medical answers that we needed. And that helped us to get pregnant. And now we're thankful to have three beautiful baby boys. But our story isn't the same for so many other families who want to be, right, who are going through this process. They don't know who to talk to, where they should be going, or what they should be doing in that time frame. A lot of times they might show up to a fertility clinic and they're told, you know, keep trying for another 12 months, or there's a wait time to even get the testing done. And so we're trying to solve that problem by providing that access to testing up front. We do that through our app where we have educational content, uh, telehealth support, at-home testing, as well as longitudinal support where we stay with the patients throughout the entire process. Think of that part as like us holding your hand throughout the entire journey. I know for my wife and I, when we were going through this problem, You know, you're being told, oh, make an appointment here, make an appointment there to get your mail testing done. Now make an appointment here for like, you know, mental health services for you on your fertility journey, make an appointment here for your OB-GYN. You know, it's just so many things and so many factors going on that we try to bring all of that to the patient so that they can focus on what matters most. And that's creating a family. So we try and take that stress away by providing providers to them through telehealth. So they have providers for REI support, urologists. You know, we have everything from dietitians and nutritionists, as well as like general fertility coaching and support throughout the treatment journey. We can even um, prescribe prescription medicine throughout the journey to those patients who qualify for that. Uh, and we can get everything done from the comfort of your home. The only thing that is needed for a full fertility workup that a woman has to leave outside of her home for is an imaging workup. And she can get that done by her OB-GYN at any time. So, you know, that we try to make it as simple and easy as possible for our patients who are going through that process and really give them that access to care that's necessary.
0: Final question. What's the, uh, what is the the state of your app? Is it available?
3: Right. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's a great question. Yes. Uh, so if you go to our website, you can actually sign up for our fertility pilot program. There is one version of the app that was already out there and not, uh, Apple and Google Play app stores. Uh, That version does not have the telehealth or at-home testing, but now our newest version that we're actually doing a pilot study with uh, 30 patients, happy to say we have, uh, we've been working with. And so anyone else is welcome to join where, you know, we can onboard them as well. But right now those patients are actually going through the process, uh, you know, getting the test kits sent to their home, sending them back. And we're actually finding that we're really able to streamline that process from 42 months down to three months of getting an actual diagnosis. So we're making a huge difference right there already and just getting people that knowledge of what's going on and what the problem is. Because once you have that knowledge, you can then make better decisions about what you guys want to do, whether that's IVF or whether that's, you know, some smaller changes that may be necessary for you to then get pregnant, right? It might not be so invasive. So that's what we're trying to do.
0: Well, that's a great story, and, it, and it's a huge problem. You're right. So thanks for uh, thanks for joining us on the podcast.
3: Thanks so much for having me, Tom. Really appreciate it.
0: All right. Well, that is a wrap. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. I, I do hope you enjoy it. Um, again, the Color competition uh, is happening uh, March 15th, so you can go to MedTechColor.com org for more information and of course please join us at device talks boston on may 1st and may 2nd uh, i explained why at the very top of this podcast it's going to be a great couple of days we would love to see you there um, and uh, so much going on so go to boston.devicetalks.com to register for that and do it next week so you save yourself a couple hundred bucks please um, we'd love to see you there and um if you register before Uh, The end of the month, you'll have an opportunity, a pretty unique opportunity. So, uh, another reason to wait. We'll we'll announce more details on that. So, you're probably hearing me say that and and thinking I am full of something. I'm not. It should be pretty cool, Um, but I just don't have all the details to share yet. So, I'd rather not wait. I'd rather wait until we have all the details. Uh, Other than that, Device Talks Tuesday is happening on Tuesday. And of course, do me a favor: subscribe to the Device Talks podcast network so you don't miss any of our podcasts. We've got uh, great podcasts coming out. Uh, we're we're setting a uh, an agenda or a schedule with uh, Edwards Life Sciences. So I'm not sure if I've announced that before, but if I haven't, I'm announcing that right now. We'll have an Edwards Life Sciences podcast coming up, and uh, a few others as well. So again, we're very busy here, <laughs> but we're having a great time. So subscribe to the Device Talks Podcast Network. Make sure you connect with me on LinkedIn, please. Um, I really would like to follow your feeds and get to know what you're talking about. It helps me so much, and um, it would be uh, great to uh, be connected. So, uh, Tom, S A L E M I, of course, you can connect with Chris Newmarker there as well, uh, and Kayleen Brown. And uh, please uh, join uh, Device Talks and Mass Device. And of course, uh, subscribe to our Device Talks YouTube channel as well. I won't ask you to do anything else other than that. And, um, but we've got a lot going on here. Don't miss any of it. Just connect, connect, connect. And we want to, uh, want to be part of what you're doing. So, all right. Uh, I believe that is all I have to say. It is, uh, just before five on Friday here on the East coast and my brain's a little bit baked. So <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm thanking you for being, uh, for joining us on this podcast and, uh, really look forward to seeing you at device talks, Boston on May 1st and May 2nd. Take care, everyone.